Have you ever had a goal that just seemed impossible? If so, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Consistent Runner Girls Notable Peeps, the series that gives attention to remarkable people who are putting on their shoes, doing their best, and believing in the impossible. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming. All my dreams are coming true. Welcome to the Notable Poops Podcast. My name's Steph, and today I'm interviewing one of my coworkers. His name's Sun and his wife, Chris. And Sun's story starts back in Vietnam when he was a boy. It was just after the war ended and the communist government took over it. And his family's life changed dramatically. They left their their house in the city and had to go to these economic zones out in in the jungle and learn how to be farmers and to, to survive on the land. And everything was controlled by the government. And as a young boy, Sun tried to escape. And it took him four times before he could escape. You know, as a young boy, he spent his summer vacation in prison and didn't tell anyone and just went back to school like normal. And as Sun started to share his experiences from his childhood with his wife, Chris, they they got the idea to, to make it into a book. And so he now has a book called Quest for Freedom. And when I first started reading it, I just was reading it because Sun's my coworker. I like him. But as I started reading it, I was like, wow. I was so impressed because it really gives you perspective of what it would be like to be in Sun's shoes. So to dive right in, Chris is going to read a little bit from the book, and this is about one of Sun's escapes, attempted escapes from Vietnam. In the early, still dark morning, my cousin, our visitor, and I caught a bus to a coastal town in Vietnam. In fear of being caught, we pretended not to know each other when we got off the bus. All day, we walked around town, but stayed about 20 feet behind him. It was exhausting trying to constantly watch him out of the corner of my eye. We tried to blend into the crowd. Even now, it makes my heart pound to recall my fear of being caught at that moment. One of the toughest problems with an escape is that people in other villages can tell you're not a local by the color of your skin and by the different way you speak and act. The government officers were always watching the coastal areas for people who did not fit in. We did our best not to attract attention to ourselves, and fortunately for us, Vietnam is a very small country with a huge population, so crowds are everywhere. For the duration of the evening, we passed the time in the local cafes, mingling until twilight. As the sun set, the guide led us to his canoe and began rowing us up and down the river as though we were tourists. He pointed at the scenery, made comments on the history and local customs. Finally, it was completely dark. We could see a large boat signaling with a flashlight, apparently telling us it was safe to row out. We paddled our canoe through the darkness towards the light, then suddenly and quickly boarded. I was so nervous that I felt my heart was in my throat, making me unable to swallow. The boat began to move slowly, but we were so tense we could barely breathe. After about 15 minutes of silence in the dark, there was a loud burst of gunfire. A person near me was shot, and I think he died immediately. It was all happening so quickly that I could not be sure of anything. Things became chaotic after the shattering blast. 
The next thing I saw was a blinding light from the patrol boats shining in our faces. As the police came aboard, they took our captain into custody and towed our boat back to the shore. I was paralyzed by both fear and sadness and could not orient myself. I heard people around me crying and shouting. I knew then that we had been captured. So, son, that was your first escape, right? Yes. And do you want to describe what happened to you when you were captured? And you were 11 years old, right? 12 years? Yeah, 11. That is really kind of okay age because I remember this one kid, he only five years old without parents. And when he went through interview, I mean, like all of these people just like love him and like pass him from one people to another and just like accepted him because mm-hmm. five years old, I mean... What, what, I mean, yeah. why do you even really interview and, and really try to establish whether he is really political uh, refugee or not? But I mean, so I mean, like, at 11, I'm really kaya. I know what's going on. So, I mean. Well, and, and they captured you and you went to prison. Yes. And this was your summer vacation of your, you were 11 years old, your summer vacation you spent in prison. Yes. Um. I they really captured a boat, uh, take us to prison. I uh, spent three months in uh, in uh, prison. Actually, it's a little longer than I should have been because they keep asking me where my family is, and I said I don't have family um, because at the time I we I just barely escaped out out of economic zone so my family part of my family is still in economic zone and partly really in Saigon so I just cannot really tell them that my family exactly where my family is it, that would bring the demise to my family uh, my family will, will have a lot of trouble if I really uh, tell where my family is and they know that I I mean somebody must have helped me get on the boat pay for my trip so they keep asking me until I uh, uh, they have a table and until I cry and eventually I think they're sick of my crying and they let me go so well and the thing that I just was so amazed at is you got home went back to school no one knew and it was just like they said that you were here your family and I was like 11 years old like you're in elementary school still you're still like a little kid and you spent the summer in, in prison it's hard to it's hard to fathom when we compare it like to the age of our grandchildren and things like that. It's hard to believe one day we were at the zoo and the kids were going on the merry-go-round. And I said, well, should I buy a ticket? Should I go with them? Because in years past, I had always gone with them. And so it's like, I think they can go by themselves. Remember, I escaped at the <laughs> Sometimes I call myself a realist with experience, and sometimes like I think I quelch her enthusiasm <laughs> because uh, a lot of time I put things in a different perspective, and I don't think it really uh, uh, a lot of time really good. Uh, yeah, he's definitely a heavier personality <laughs> than I am, and sometimes that's a good thing. Well, and your experience, of course, it's heavier because that was the first time you tried to escape. The second time you tried, didn't they say that what like it was canceled before you even tried, right? Yeah, before I even uh, 
when you escape, you have to really go to that town. And second escape, I, uh, with my brother, and we wait for the day that they really, um, the day to get on the boat and somehow so they were in hiding all of that time. yeah you just like pretend like you go visit a relative in that area or grandma or something like that um so we i stayed with uh, one of the family i did not even know but somehow in vietnam everybody to the family or cousin you know, mm-hmm. always call this one uncle and that one <laughs> but i have no idea who they are anyways uh Stay there for over a week until my brother said, you know, we cannot escape because somehow the news will leak that uh, uh, there will be an attempt to escape and the police really keep an eye on it really, uh, really close. So we have to go back. I have to bring you back to school before the school really have any suspicions on you. We went back and um, I just res- uh, resumed my school normally. So for the second time, you resumed your school normally. And how old were you then? At the time, I was 14. 14, so two years later. And then the third time you tried to escape, you had like the police and the dogs chasing you, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it. Uh, the third time when I escaped, it very much, the lightest first time, so you get on the canoe and this guy, the tour guy really paddle up and down the river and wait until it will be dark because the big boat will be in a big river. It's hard to picture when you live in Utah, mm-hmm. but when you look at this, at the Mekong Delta, it looks like you're looking at the ocean. Right. Oh, okay. It's, it's huge. Mouth, it's at the mouth of the ocean anyway, so the body of water really big. So, and around all the shore really have a lot of bushes, rushes, and like swamps. So you basically can hide in it if you feel, if you uh, suspect the police are coming. So she said, well, I need to dump you guys right here. Uh, I, I, I'll be back. And it's what, around 9 or 11 at night. And we did not even think of anything. And uh, she, she never show up. Somehow she 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 really know the police really searching for us, and she really jumped to get to get rid of us, and she vanished. So we just sat on the shore in this area that we don't even know where we were, and eventually, um, all the shots were fired, and we hear gunshot, and um, the high start raising up and really we getting wet, so we start moving in, moving in uh, deeper inland, and in, we just barely move about five minutes and certainly the police just come to our area and we, and thank goodness somehow we just move in time and we did not get caught. And it's just so dark and somehow in this our group there was a lady with very small child. She was oh, on a canoe but I mean she on different canoe but I mean in the confusion. Somehow. In the confusion somehow two, three canoe really dumped us in the same location and this Baby keeps screaming because in Vietnam the temperature always like 80 or 90. Mm. I mean, I was cold at the time, so I mean, like the baby must be also cold and hungry or something. But he or she's screaming, and as soon as she she starts screaming, the police just swarm that area. So somehow everything just work out in our favor. I mean, we just barely move. The baby stop crying. And the police searching that area for about five minutes, and uh, they just vanish, and we. 
keep running back and forth to find our way all night. And uh, we run all night, step over memories from the fans. And I mean, I lost my shoe. Bleeding. Yeah, that's what you said. Your foot was bleeding. Bleeding. Never goes without shoes. <laughs> I did not even know. I I lost my. I have lost my shoe. And uh, we keep running back and forth until. Somehow we run into this family and the dog start chasing us and then we keep jumping fence and run around and the dog eventually just lost their interest in chasing us and but we did not know where we were so eventually we uh, find out that really a very con- uh, concentrate of the communist uh, family and so we hide under this big tree uh, in this garden and eventually the guy come out and really he knew that we escaped. And then uh, we start asking him, how do we get to uh, the boat, uh, the canoe? How do we get out of uh, there? Apparently, it was a little island. He said, how much money do you have? But we don't have much money. So he really said, oh, you." he looked at one of the guys next to me and said, oh, you have any nice jacket, you know. So the guy said, take the jacket. And wasn't it from America, the, his jacket? Yeah, his yeah. jacket from America. And he took up the jacket and handed, handed it to the guy. And the guy said, okay, go this way, that way. And uh, thank goodness he did not call the police on us, and we'd be able to find our way to uh, the canoe. And so we asked the, uh, the owner of the canoe, can he take us to uh, the bus station? And he uh, asked for the money, and all of these guys started t- talking like, we don't have enough money. He, I think he asked for $300,000. Yeah, it was something ridiculous, I remember. Yeah, but in Vietnam, $300,000, like $3 here. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I only have 5000 at a time, so I just pushed all of them on the boat and I said, yeah, we have the money. I don't know, like, for my survival instinct or something, I just pushed them all, five of us, I pushed them all and I said, yeah, we have the money. And by the time we get on the other side, I gather all the money and we only have like twenty three or $25,000. And he wasn't happy, and I said, you know, you can call the police on us, you can do whatever, but that's all we have. And he took the money grudgingly. I just look at that, okay, so how old were you here? Were you 16 or 15? Uh, 15 at the time. 15? You're 15, you tell this guy, hey, like, yeah, we have the money, like, that is gutsy. <laughs> and I bet the, like, you were talking about how the whole ride, you're like... I hope this works out. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I don't know m- much, but I mean, like, the guy probably know we escaped and yeah. try to make some money. Uh-huh. But I think it probably cost about, he still make money. Yeah. I mean, like, probably the whole trip, probably $10,000. Yeah, so he was still making. Yeah, but I mean, like, well, we already, I have nothing to lose at the time anyway. So I said, I pushed them all up and I said, you know, we have the money, get on and like they are older than I am and somehow I really be able to really uh, maybe my survival instinct kick in and I just push them up uh, all on the boat and said let's go we have money so man and then you went back to school like normal uh, yeah we went back to <laughs> normal again uh, it's really hard you just want to really like release pressure and uh-huh. he said hey I escape again, but I fail, you know? Yeah. But you can because, I mean, like, my mom and dad, my mom, my brother and sisters already emphasized, you cannot say anything. You will be in trouble. We will be in trouble. And um, with all the year living under communists, I mean, you know it's not, you don't mess with them. Um, you... Uh, 
uh, you really want to keep your family safe. So I mean, you, I had to uh, keep secret to myself, uh, and only my family and my brother, sister really knew, and I knew that uh, that I escaped. So it's interesting to me. Um, Vietnam is different. When you go to school, your teacher kind of moves with you. So his teacher was the same person throughout all of these escape attempts. And it, it is a person that he's still in touch with when we go to Vietnam and she emails and, you know, they send cards and things. And we're pretty sure that she suspected what was going on. But of course, she didn't ever report it. But also, even though uh, Sun has seen her when we go back to Vietnam, they don't ever talk about it. it it's a communist country and you don't... You don't talk about don't it. don't talk about it even right now. So, you know, he has no way of knowing what she knew, but she had to have been aware of what was actually going on for him to keep, you know, disappearing and saying he's spending time with his grandmother. That That doesn't really happen like that that's lucky though that she had you back yeah. because yeah. like he said he could have gotten in mm-hmm. a lot of trouble and then son you it's taking you three times to escape and you aren't able to tell anyone about it you're keeping the secret in did you at that point feel like you would ever get to america um no um i failed the first three times so I kind of losing hope on the fourth time. I said, so basically, I really kind of go with the motion. I kind of prepare for another unsuccessful attempt. Uh, but I knew this time, fourth time would have been my last. Because I promised my mom, I promised her, that's it. If I fail, I would remain home in Vietnam. And at the time, I was kind of drained and kind of fall behind in school because with all the distraction of escape, you cannot really concentrate, right? Oh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> so, I mean, I, uh, so I really promise her that if I fail the fourth time, I will never try again. Well, and she just, you know, of everything that had happened to him, prison and being shot at and running and being in communist, you know, strongholds, I think she was becoming more worried each time, not that she wasn't terrified from the beginning that her 11-year-old was on his own, but I think she just probably was even more terrified the fourth time he left. And and so she really did make him promise that that would be his last. And so your fourth time, you know that this is going to be your last time, and do you want to tell us a little bit about this escape? So the fourth time, very much the same process. So the person that owned the boat orchestrated the whole deal and then under him uh, have so many people helping him the more people escape on the boat the more money the owner will make so a lot of time they pack more people on the boat than the boat be be able to handle that's why the boats were so heavy and so because the person orchestrating the escape wants as many people on the boat it's like human trafficking you want it packed because you're getting $2,000 for each of those people. And $2,000 back then is a lot. It's still a lot nowadays. Yeah. Back then, the house 
five thousand or ten thousand dollars, you can buy a house. So I mean, like to and pay two thousand for me to escape that. It, it, yeah. And that was not yeah. Vietnamese money. That was U.S. Oh. US dollars, and it had to be U.S. dollars. Right. Or you have to pay in gold. The miracle of his fourth escape was really that his mother had been very, very intelligent from the very beginning, and she told each boat manager that she would not pay the $2,000 until she heard from her son that he was safe in a refugee camp. Mm. And so if she had paid $2,000 every single time, the first time would have been the last because they never would have come up with $2,000 more dollars, more dollars, more dollars. So she did not pay any of those times and only paid the final time once son was safely in the refugee camp. I, I can't imagine. Imagine how many people paid and didn't They lost pay. all that money. Right, right. So the fourth time, uh, the guy come to our house, pretend like uh, know us, and stay overnight. So in the morning, we just... we. We took the bus down to uh, one of the co uh, coastal city, and we do the same thing. Like you, we wander through the street all day, just wait for the nightfall. But I mean, you, we cannot really go together. Like three or four of us cannot go together. You, I just like keep the distance behind him, and keep following him. And when he stop at a uh, coffee shop, I stop at coffee shop, and then get something to eat, to drink. And uh, when the night fall, I get on the canoe with uh, one or two more people, uh, and he paddle up and down the, the, the river just like normal, just wait for the night, the night to arrive. So, so periodically we just like he just canoe right behind uh, all the swamp or in the all of these thick leaves uh, foliage to hide because we uh, he thought like the police is coming, but I mean when the, the other boat come by, nobody, uh, no police or anything, we get out again. And so we wait until the nightfall, and uh, and somehow he uh, be able to read the signal from the flashlight that is said to to really canoe to the big boat. It's called a big fish. Uh, he canoe us to the big boat, and we start climbing up. It's really pitch dark, start kind of rainy. So I mean, it's kind of eerie. People falling in, maybe crying, and it's just so dark. And the more fearful thing was the possibility that the patrol boat would suddenly see us and show up with a bright light and a soldier with AK-47 like uh, pointing at us like before. But thank goodness this time everything went very smooth. Everybody get on and after half an hour, 45 minutes or an hour, I don't remember, everybody's on the boat and the boat moving and two hours, one or two hours into that, the Captain said, you know, just hunker down, don't say anything, we will pass uh, the checkpoint. The checkpoint are like a couple of feet from you, I mean like kind of far off, but with mm -hmm. binocular, if they suspect anything at all, they will use their boat yeah. to after us, but somehow we just slipped through fine, and um, the most in amazing thing is uh, uh, like a couple hours later or a day later, I don't remember, but uh, the captain really announced that we in uh, international water, and at that time everybody just so chirpy, start talking, just so happy. And uh, but I was sick like a dog. I mean, I 
was so seasick and the first day I just lay right on the bottom of the boat and cannot even move until like the next day I get up and start. Well, periodically I have to climb up on the side of the boat to uh, puke. Puke, yeah. So, but uh, the next day I start getting up with all uh, and start peel up the hikama. We saw a lot of hikama on the boat because the hikama will give you uh, nutrition and also have very high water content. If we run out of water, then I mean you can chew on the hikama and survive. So the amazing thing is uh, we uh, be able to uh, get into international water and eventually we uh, get to the oil rig in Malaysia. So when you got to the international waters, when he announced that, what were the thoughts that went through your mind? The, that is the first step. I mean, you not in Viet, Vietnam territory yeah. more. So I mean, you basically kind of free, but not exactly because I mean, like we heard a lot of time the Russian boat will grab refugee boat and pull back in. Mm. But I mean, when you international water very much, you uh, you are safe. But uh, but that doesn't mean you're safe from the ocean. Yep. Mm. So there were still five days and four nights to be spent on the water at yep. the very least. And the ocean, it's called Pacific Ocean, uh, but it's not really Pacific at all. Actually, it's really in Pacific. I mean, it really mean. So, I mean... But, uh, so, I mean, we on uh, the ocean for, I believe, three nights and four days until we really get to the oil rig in Malaysia. And uh, eventually, we get some food from them and we head to uh, Malaysian shore. Wow, son, four times, four times in your teenage years, your youth, to escape um, from Vietnam, and you finally made it. And you were in the refugee camp for how many years? Uh, almost two years. Two years. And that's a whole other story by itself, yeah. and I'm going to let people read the book. I just want to get to when you finally step foot in America. You said that that day is just ingrained in your mind. What was it like to be on American soil? As soon as I get on the airplane to fly out of Malaysia, I know I'm really heading to America. Uh, but it's really have different feeling at the time because I have no idea where I, I was heading. Uh, I know I, I was going to America, but I don't know who's going to pick me up, what the life is really like. So, I mean, all of these emotions really run through you, kind of scary, kind of happy, but scary, but at the same time, it's kind of lonely also. So, as soon as we touched down at uh, Seattle, uh, in Seattle, I thought, like, that is my final destination, but from the microphone, they call my name. I just barely have a few words of English, but I mean, like, how could you not recognize mm -hmm. yeah. especially my name is Sun. So I mean, when they call my name, I just walk up to the counter and the lady said, you and me two uh, kid right here head, head into Utah. And I said, what? Utah? Where is it? I went halfway to we land in Utah. And, um, and the, snow. And snow. <laughs> yeah, you said it was cold. You're like, what? Cold. <laughs> Never had it cold ever. Yeah. And then we, uh, the first encounter I have is really uh, running to, uh, I mean, this American guy to speak fluently Vietnamese. 
uh, he's my guest worker for two uh, for two three years after that, and he's really amazing. His name is Joe Jokovic, and he speaks fluently seven languages. And uh, I really have privilege to know him. So at the airport, he introduced me to Joe and Ellen, who uh, uh, was my sponsor and willing to take me in and offer me uh, a warm house for almost two years. Son, you've been in America for how many years? 29 years. 29. What is your favorite thing about living in the United States of America? (laughs) That will be a sequel. (laughs) (laughs) Sudden Chris, describe the process of writing this book and how did it all come about? Well, once we were dating and and discussing our lives, I began to share my life experience with Chris as she shared hers with me. Years later... When we married, she asked me if I could write out some of my me- uh, memories. When we were driving on a trip, unusual scenery or certain smell would trigger my memory. Like what type of smell or? You know, uh, like when I was in refugee camp, like they give you a soap. Uh, what is the one that we always is it smell like Irish? Every spring or seal. Oh. So, I mean, like, that the only soap that, I don't know, actually, they did not give us soap, but I mean, like, people in the refugee camp who have money, they be uh, able to really buy those or they share with me, and that, every time you just, I peel off that, it really, like, oh, I kind of remember where I was standing at the time, like, next to the well, here the deal, in refugee camp, you don't have enough water. They only give you five gallons a day for cooking and showering and everything. So most of it, so every day we jump into the ocean first to really kind of shower and swimming and everything. And then uh, you, when you come home, you soak, you soak yourself and then you use like one or two gallons to really rinse off. So that's how it works. And... Uh, so when we would go camping or when we would, you know, stay at a hotel or do something like that, or especially when we've traveled to California to see my aunt and uncle by the ocean, those kinds of things really triggered his memory. And, and we camp a lot. And so a lot of the um, greenery and um, the wildflowers would bring back a lot of memory. So you decided to write down all of these memories that Sons had, and how long was that process of writing this book? Wow, probably close to 10 years. I Wow, a decade? It, it really has, but we didn't work on it continuously. Uh-huh. When we, we have a week that we spend at Snowbird at the Iron Blossom Lodge, and we go up there as a family, and, and we would have quiet moments there, and several years in a row, we really decided to focus on the book during that week. Everything was handwritten because we would write it in the car, we would write it on vacation, we would, you know, just jot down things all of the time. So I spent a lot of time at the computer in the family room putting it into a form that we could use later. And sometimes, like, uh, I was watching jazz or I love, I am a soccer fan, so I love World Cup. So sometimes the World Cup going on and I just 
sat there and watched, and Chris just said, "Here are the notes. Here are the notes. <laughs> I work on it, you know." Like, You're like, "I'm watching my game." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it looks kind of like that. Time. Yeah. So, like, I, uh, gradually said, "Okay, let's do it," and then like make sure uh, all the thing that I we could now really be able to express or really accurately really uh, convey my feeling. And like any computer guy, he is detail-oriented. <laughs> Nothing is in this book that is not absolute fact at, at any moment. And it was really hard because he worked so hard to make sure that all of the names were correct. Um, really hard because it was you know, years ago mm -hmm. when he was young. And then when we went to publish the book, they told us we really couldn't use any real names. Oh, no. So then, you know, we used the names, of course, of our family, yeah. people that we could get permission from. But for all of the information, they had us change all change. Of the names. And so that was kind of funny because we had literally worked and focused on that for a couple of months getting it all correct. Well, and so Sun and I work together, and that's how I, I know him. And when he was telling me about writing a book, I was like, oh, that's so cool. And I got the book, and the, the way that it's written, it gives that perspective of what it would be like in Vietnam. And I, like this week, I would talk to different friends, and I'm like, this book, like, because you had to stand in line to get a piece of meat. Like, that just, like, boggled my mind that the government would give a piece of meat. Or just that when, when harvesting your crops, that the government would be like, oh, we need to take this amount you know you had to fill out a form and so just a whole new perspective and how you talk a lot in there about being grateful to be in America and so true advice to someone that that has an impossible goal like Chris this book took 10 years you know and you guys edited and edited and son escaping and writing this book so I guess what's your advice to someone that that has a goal and they feel like it's impossible just keeping it in your head that you want to accomplish it. And, you know, over 10 years, we did many other things in our lives and we, you know, we had jobs and we had, you know, grandchildren and we were very, very busy, but we just always knew that this was something that we wanted to finally accomplish. And so we kept dragging it out and we kept working at it and slowly, slowly, it really began to form. And also the people in our lives that read it and reread it and, you know, worked so hard for us to accomplish this goal. This task would not have been possible without our daughter, Angie. She, she amazing. She, uh, she read, she helped, she moved sentences around and also... Lisa Michelle, our very good friend, she uh, be able to edit and help to make our goal come true and also really keep my voice intact. And of course, my wife, Chris, she, uh, without her, I mean, I, this book would not have been born. But anyway, my point is, if you mediocre, just surrounded you with our very intelligent woman. <laughs> <laughs> we make you look very good. Great advice. Speaking with it and wanting it to be real. And after a while, we'd worked so long on it, it seemed silly not to have it turn into something. Yeah. You know, so we were excited about it. 
And compared to escaping, it was really the easy. Escaping is it's a short. What come up to that is not easy, especially when you come an adult. English is not really easy language to learn, so just uh, embrace for another second part of your journey. <laughs> the second part of the journey. So we've talked about how writing this book was an easy process. So what is it, son, that you're hoping people will take away from your story? Well, I really want each person to know that even in the most de- desperate of time, hope will keep you alive. And we all have the reservoir of uh, inner strength to draw upon on that we don't even know it. If my story offers hope to another and allow even one person to dare to live their dream, and also at this time, with all the politics going on, with a lot of things really confusing, during this unexpected time of confusion in our nation about who and what refugee actually is, we have confidence my story will bring a deeper understanding to people across our country regarding their important role in offering safe haven to those who are living in in peril lives. Well, you guys, it's been so great talking with you today. Thank you so much for coming. We want to really thank you, Steph. This was a wonderful opportunity, and we appreciate it so much. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, guys, so much for being here. And there's so much that we could talk about with this book. Guys, I highly recommend check out Quest for Freedom. I'm going to have a link for it at notablepeeps.com to the to Amazon so you can buy it. And I'm also doing a giveaway on Instagram. So if you aren't following Consistent Runner Girl, follow me on Instagram for a chance to, to win a free copy. Thanks so much for listening. And remember to put on your shoes, do your best, and believe in the impossible. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming. All my dreams are coming true. So I love love stories. I'm constantly asking people how they met. And so Sun and Chris, how did you guys meet? Tell me your love story. You want to start? Go ahead. So we met through a friend at work. I was a translator at Catholic Community Services. And Chris had been a caseworker there for a couple of years. Uh, we had friends in common. And to them, we uh, came to know each other. We went to the zoo once as a group, and we just became really, really good friends. We went, we had rafting. Um, yeah, we went rafting. We Where did you guys go rafting? Uh, the Snake River. Oh, sweet. That was really fun. We used to just do lots of things as a group, and then slowly we became good friends and realized that we wanted to spend more time together. Was that awkward with the whole like work office romance? <laughs> but you didn't let that stop you? No, we just <laughs> didn't do like we just... We keep very low, low uh, profile. Okay. So. Yeah, no one knew for a long time except <laughs> the people that were closest to us. Yeah. So. Well, sweet. And so, um, Sun, do you want to talk a little bit about how you sort of started working with the um, Catholic Community Services? Catholic Community Services is the agency that really sponsors all the kids and the family or those really came here uh, over 18. When I was accepted to the lead refugee camp, they happened to find a family willing to take me in. And um, 
And then I went to Catholic Community Services. And uh, after I graduated from high school, they asked me to help translate. But anyway, they uh, are the people that came after me. And that, uh, He's being really modest because it was very difficult to find someone that was completely fluent in Vietnamese and then also had learned English quickly enough to be able to do medical, social, um, registration for school. To be able to translate on that level is very difficult. And Sun was able to really learn the English language quickly. And he had been very educated in his own language, which is kind of a complex combination to find. And so when they realized that he was as capable in the English language as he was, they really snapped him up and he worked for several years doing that. And then... Uh, slowly switched to becoming um, their computer network engineer because they kept getting so many computers donated. And that was in the years before, you know, people had networks and he had to make all those donated computers fit together. Mm -hmm. And he did that kind of during his off hours, waiting for people to have doctor's appointments mm. and things like that. So, well, a lot of those computers they should have gone to Jung Yard. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why I love having both of you here because you call him out and you're like, he's being humble, you know? Like, people don't normally brag about themselves, so I love it. Okay, so how many years have you guys been married for? We will be married 16 years this September. Oh, and what's been the best thing about being married to each other? Well, we travel together, and I mean, we can lean on each other in the low time or high time, when we're happy, when we're sad. So, I mean, it has been a good journey for us. I've seen and been places I never could have imagined. We have been now back to Vietnam three different times to see... Uh, son's family and to get to know his homeland and that has been an opportunity that I wouldn't ever have imagined. Um, we took a, a fabulous trip with my parents for their 50th anniversary and we traveled um, throughout Italy and it was a wonderful time and we enjoyed camping and um, just being together and working in the yard and um, all of those kinds of things are wonderful. Well, at least, I mean, we both really on the same page in terms of temperature in the house. We always try to have it cool. So that's like something I should start looking for in a guy. Yeah. To make sure we're on the same temperature. <laughs> I love it. And that might be why Sun Escape Vietnam is very hot there. Very difficult to deal with. Thing is, you have to find a guy with the IQ higher than room temperature. <laughs> them and we get to take them places and um, we ride bikes and go to the park and hike and do lots of things together. It's really nice. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming. All my dreams are coming true.
again for pushing play and listening to this episode. If you want more information about today's guest, head over to www.notablepeeps.com. 